Thank you for visiting Crosslink Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at cocchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked, and said, The man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Well, good morning, and if you're a mother, and even if you're not a mother, welcome to Cross Lane Community Church. Uh, we honor not only the mothers, but we honor women today, period, because uh, even if you don't have kids, you probably have kids somewhere that you're taking care of that, uh, that count on you and need you, and, and uh, you provide such a service. I'm thinking even as I take the stage this morning of my own mother, and uh, she's at church this morning, and and uh, being fed as well and where in the world would I be without mama you know I mean I think that's true of most of us and and, uh, ladies we honor you we really do what in the world does gleaning wheat and barley 3,000 years ago have to do with us in the 21st century this is about a single man and a single woman And what we're seeing in increasing numbers in our society is singleness. We're seeing that more and more in our culture. Our nation has become increasingly more single. I don't know if you realize that or not, but it has. In 1970, 36% of all adults were single. In 1980, that number jumped to 39%. In 1990, that number went to 41%. And in 2000, that number went to 44%. 
In 2006, we did something we'd never done before. We went uh, from being a nation of married people predominantly to a nation of single people. Predominantly in America, most people in America today are single. They are not married. Singles are the new majority in the United States of America. Statistically, 90% of people will marry. But people are waiting longer to get married. In 1950, the average age of the, uh, the average male married at age 23, the average female at age 20. That was 1950. In 2003, the average man is, was 27, and the average woman was 25. So in those years, the question begs to be asked, what are they doing as they wait longer to be married? Do you think that they're praying more and memorizing scripture and preparing themselves to be great moms and dads and learning how to be married better? No, they're naked and breaking the commandments is what they're doing. They're... Statistically, that's what they're doing. A 2006 National Public Radio survey reported that fully 80% of the people are sexually active by age 20. But I told you earlier that the average man isn't married until age 27, and the average female is not married until she's 25. That means that they are, I'm going to use an old-fashioned word here, they are fornicating. I showed this to somebody on the, on the, in the worship band this morning. I said, you know it's going to be a good sermon when the preacher gets to use the word fornicating. <laughs> Which means that they are having sex with someone other than someone that they're married to. And 20% of the women, by the time they are married, only 20% are virgins by the time they're married. So the cohabitation rate between 1960 and 2000 went up tenfold, okay? From 1960 to 2000, that number increased tenfold. Between 1990 and 2000, it went up 72%. People are waiting longer to get married, and uh, they're living together, sleeping together, wrongly thinking that, that doing that will help increase their chances of staying married once they get married. Uh, what we've learned is that people who, who do that really struggle more. They don't, they, it doesn't improve things. People are waiting longer, living together. They're, that's just what they're doing. I can tell you that even among us in Terre Haute, uh, you know, we did this study back in, in the fall. The Aspen Group and the, tra- uh, the TAG company came along and we did this Transforming Church Index. With the index, what we got back was a, a demographic study of a three-mile radius of, of uh, the Cross Lane Community Church. So you just draw a circle three miles around the, the church here, and we got back all kinds of data telling us who is in our neighborhood. One of the things excuse me, one of the things that we found out from that study is that we have a, a higher than, than normal percentage of people in the United States. We are above the normal percentage of people who uh, are single and who are living together. So this is a very relevant uh, study for us. You know, what, what relevance does Ruth and Boaz have for us? It has all kinds of relevance for us today. Here's what we know about Ruth so far. And, and I realize that, that many of us in the room are married and, and have kids and, you know, on Mother's Day. That's what we're celebrating today. But there are many, many people who are in the room who are single. And uh, this really is going to be a message that suits them more than it suits people who are married. And you're saying, well, then why are you preaching that on Mother's Day? Because, moms, one of the things that, that people are going to depend on you for is advice. 
one of the things people are going to depend on you for is, you know, show me how to do this. And uh, so your role in this today is to, is to, if I can use the word, glean information that will help you to be a better mother, help you to be a better dispenser of wisdom and information, help you to, to be a, a guide to those who are coming after you to show them how to do this better, uh, both men and women. I mean, I, I try to be a gentleman, and most of the things I learned about being a gentleman, I learned from my grandmother. So uh, there are some pointers and tips for us in the message today, and I hope that we get those all uh, mined out before the, the day's over. Here's what we learned about Ruth. We've learned so far about Ruth. She is single. She really is not all that young. In that culture, you could be married when you were a teenager. We put Ruth's age at somewhere between uh, her late 20s and her early to mid-30s. She's already been married. She is not young by that culture's uh, definition of, of youth. She's also not ha- had a child yet, and so that clock is ticking in her. She's wanting to have children. We also know that she's a new convert. Boaz, on the other hand, it has been a Christian for a while from everything we can tell, and, and you know, he, he, when you read about Boaz, he seems to be a very seasoned Christian. He seems to have have been a Christian for a while or a God follower. I'm using the word Christian, really technically wouldn't use that term, but you understand what I'm doing there. He's a God follower. He isn't young either. He's older than she is. They place his age at somewhere about uh, early to mid-40s, possibly older than that, but, but uh, probably early to mid-40s, late 30s maybe. And, and in that culture, to be a man and to be that age um, and not married, that just was unusual. We also know this about Ruth. We know that she is not a virgin. We know that she, we don't know that she had been intimate before she got married. We know that she came from a town called Moab. Moab's beginnings even came from very, you know, uh, use the word seedy beginnings. And we know that the city of Moab was a city that was, was, had a reputation for being a promiscuous city. So now she's moved to Bethlehem. She's a a new convert, a new believer in a new town. She also does not seem to have had a father. At least that's what we might guess because when she fell on hard times, she went with Naomi. She did not go back to her home. She didn't have a father who brought her back under his wing. She seems to have been kind of left out on her own to some extent. The question is, where was her father? I was talking to a good friend this week and, and you know, the, just the idea of the, the importance of a father, the role that a father plays. And, you know, on Mother's Day, we're, we're honoring mothers today, but as, as important as moms are, you know, dads are highly important. And we ask the question in Ruth's case, where was he? It's interesting that when her husband died, her father didn't look after her and take care of her and make sure that she was okay. She was flat broke and dad doesn't seem to have showed up what Ruth doesn't have what does what does Ruth not have Ruth does not have a long walk with God she doesn't have a decent family she doesn't have a loving father she doesn't have money she doesn't have virginity she doesn't have her uh, youthfulness so that's what we know about Ruth let me recap the story for you if you're new if you're visiting today let me just bring you up to speed on this this whole story of Ruth and if you've been coming to church you know I do this every week but I think it's safe to say that when we get done with the book of Ruth you will know the book of Ruth Elimelech marries Naomi they have two children Malon and Kilion 
There's no food in Bethlehem. There's a famine. So Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, decides that uh, his God, who is king, probably isn't going to be able to feed him in Bethlehem. So he moves his family 50 miles away to the city of Moab so that he will live. Uh, What happens when he gets to Moab after his children, Malon and Kilion, take on wives of their own, Ruth and Orpah, Elimelech, the father, dies, leaving Naomi to be a widow. Soon after that, Malon dies and Kilion dies. Now you have these three women, this, this woman and her two daughters-in-law, uh, Naomi the mother, Ruth and Orpah the two daughters, and they are without husbands. They have grieved together, they've become close, they've lived... Uh, Ruth is, or Naomi's been living in a, a foreign city, a city that, where there are no God followers. It was a, a pagan city. They worshiped a God named Chemosh there. And so Ruth finds out, or Naomi finds out, that, that back in Bethlehem, the famine is no longer in effect. It's, there's not a famine in Bethlehem anymore. She decides she's going to move back to Bethlehem. The girls decide they're going to go back with her on the 50-mile journey back to Bethlehem. They have a discussion. And in that discussion, Naomi says, girls, you need to go back home. You need to go back to Moab, find good Moabite boys, get married and have babies because I've got nothing. I can't produce more sons for you. I don't have any money. I I don't know what I'm going to find when I get to Bethlehem. You guys just need to go back. Well, in the course of that whole discussion, Orpah decides that she will return back to Moab. And we learn in that discussion that it is a spiritual decision that she makes because the Bible says very clearly that she will return to her family and, quote, to her God or gods. So she makes a spiritual decision, fork in the road, I'm going to go back to Moab. Ruth, on the other hand, says, I'm going to go with you, Naomi, and your people are going to be my people. And that famous line, maybe some of you had that used in your weddings, your people will be my people, your God will be my God. Where you go, I'm going to go. I'm not going to leave you, Ruth, uh, Naomi. Ruth says to Naomi, I'm not going to leave you. So they get to Bethlehem. Naomi is really upset, not real happy with God. The people of of Bethlehem start coming up to Naomi, and they say, hey, you're you're Naomi, you're back. And she says, don't call me Naomi, because we've learned that Naomi means something like sweetheart or cutie pie or, you know, something sweet like that. Naomi says, don't call me that. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mara meaning bitter, because God has dealt bitterly with me. God has has not uh, done you know, I'm paraphrasing, but God hasn't done right by me. He's not put it, he's put his hand against me. And so she's not real happy with God. And, and, uh, you know, we talked in that particular sermon about the fact that that's one of the things we go through sometimes where we, we are not happy with God. We have these periods of time where we don't understand what he's doing. We, we go through hardships. We have these, uh, horrible things that happen in our life and we expect God to protect us from those things. And when those things, when we don't experience protection, we get a little miffed. We get a little out of balance we we have some trouble and so that's where Naomi finds herself uh Ruth says hey Naomi do you care if I go work in the fields to you know maybe find something for us to eat the kind of work she's going to do we liken to collecting aluminum cans it's soup kitchen kind of stuff I mean it's it's not good stuff but uh, Ruth is willing to go do whatever necessary so that she and Naomi, she's going to provide for Naomi as well so that they can eat and they can have what they need to, to get by. And one of the things she says in Ruth 2, verse 2, is, is I, you know, maybe someone will find favor. There, maybe I will find favor in someone's eyes. Maybe I'll stand out to somebody and they'll, you know, God will send somebody along to come and take care of 
of you and me, Naomi. So I'm going to go out into a field. And we talked in one of the sermons about how Naomi just happened to go out into a field. And all these fields lined up together. And Naomi just happens to pick this one field that belongs to this one man who happens to be single, who hasn't ever been married. He's an older guy. He happens to be very successful. Out of all these fields, she happens to pick his. And on that particular day, he happens to show up to check on his field and happens to look out and happens to see Ruth working in the field and he says well hello and he looks at the young man with the clipboard who runs his business and he says who is this young lady I don't remember hiring her I mean all these other young ladies that are out here working I know them because I hired them but this this one who's that and he said oh that's Ruth that's the Moabitess oh And at that point, Boaz starts to put it all together. This is the woman that everybody's been talking about who came back to Bethlehem from Moab with Naomi. That's who that is. And so uh, we we saw where uh, Boaz began to um, have an interaction with Ruth and starts to take care of Ruth. And, uh, you know, Ruth is really doing her best and blinking her, her baby blues and, you know, really letting, although her eyes are probably brown, she's blinking them at Boaz and saying, hey, you know, maybe there's something going on. And so this story has kind of kind of had this, um, this love story feel to it as we've kind of moved through it, but not a whole lot has happened. And today, and I'm, I'm, I'm using some of this stuff very loosely, I'm, I'm calling today the first date. Now, I don't really know that you'd call this the first date, but I'm, I'm going to basically make some transition to uh, us in the 21st century, especially those of you who are single and, and are, you know, kind of wondering, okay, God, what are you doing in my life and who do you have for me? And we're, there are going to be some tips as we go along the way. So that's the recap. And so today they're going to have their first meal together. So we pick up in Ruth uh, chapter 2, verse 14, at mealtime, and we're going to stop right there. It's mealtime. Guys, let me just tell you, if you're single and you're wanting to date this girl and you're wanting to treat her nice and you're wanting to really make a good first impression, don't take her to a movie where you can't talk. Don't don't take her to a ball game where you're going to be engrossed in the game and not be able to really talk. Take her to dinner. Take her to a nice dinner. You know how you can tell it's a nice dinner? They require that you have buttons on your shirt. They require that you wear a shirt. You, you know it's a nice dinner because they don't have paper napkins. They have linen napkins at the dinner. This is the kind of place you want to take her to. This is the kind of place that they use a fork and a spoon, not a spork. If they're using a spork, if they're handing it to you in cellophane, you don't want to take her there, okay? That's not going to impress her. Take her to a nice restaurant. Take her to dinner. Sit her down, seat her, come around, look into her eyes, and start to have a conversation. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. I wanted to do it in some really cool, deep voice, James Earl Jones kind of thing, but I don't think I've got it in me. Come here, baby. (laughs) Have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. He's inviting her to lunch. He's a good boss. He's, he's a great boss. 
Remember, he showed up to check on his guys and his business, and the first thing he does is he calls out a blessing to his employees. His, his employees call back a blessing to him. That's Numbers, I think it's 624 is, is where you would find that reference. It's the priestly blessing where they call out to one another. He's brought lunch for his employees. It's a good business principle. If you want uh, your employees to take care of you, take care of them. Can you imagine the workers in the other fields as they see Boaz roll up in whatever it is that he comes up in? He gets out and he's going to have lunch for his employees. Can you imagine the employees in the other fields that don't belong to Boaz as they watch this unfold? Well, our boss makes us bring paper sack lunches. This guy shows up and everybody has lunch and he gets out and he's calling blessings and they're calling blessings back and Boaz is a godly man. Takes care of his employees brings him lunch, calls out blessings. And he invites Ruth. She was a Moabite, an outsider, and he is about to make her an insider. He is about to give her dignity and respect. He is about to give her community. He is about to include her. He's about to take her from being a Moabite and making her a part of the Hebrew community. He's going to show her chivalry, respect. He's going to dignify her. He's going to encourage her. Come over here and have some bread and dip it into the wine vinegar. She sat beside the reapers. She sat among the group. She wasn't by herself. She was included. It's a sign of respect and dignity. He's honoring her. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. The question is, who serves Ruth? Boaz serves Ruth. What is he? He's the boss. What is Boaz doing serving Ruth? You see a resemblance here to Jesus. Though he is in charge, he is humble. He takes his posture as a servant. And in that culture, normally, a Moabite woman would have been serving the Hebrew male boss, not Boaz. He says, no, no, no. She's, she's met the Lord. She's my sister in faith. She's a wonderful woman. Have a seat here. She's a lady. I'm a gentleman. I'll serve you. Guys, be a godly, humble, gentleman servant today and every day to every woman that you encounter. Second part of verse 14, when she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted and had some left over. She was full. It was the best meal she'd had in a long, long time. She's got food left over. Now, who is supposed to get that food? Naomi is going to get that food, the mother-in-law. Single guys, write this down because this will help you. This is free advice. You really want to win the girl, you court her mother too. Okay? You got to get mom on your side. If you get mom on your side, it's all going to go a lot easier. So here's what you're going to do. You're going to take the lady to dinner. You're going to talk to her. You're going to respect her, honor her, take her to a place where they don't give you sporks. You're going to have a nice talk. At the end of it, you're going to look at her and you're going to say, tell me about your mother. You're going to say, how could I be praying for your mother? And then you're going to say, what is her favorite dessert? What, what say we just, as we order dessert for us, we order an extra dessert, have it boxed up and take it home 
to your mother. Why? Well, I just think we should treat your mother to some additional dessert. That's all. I just think it'd be a nice thing to do. And so the first impression is going to be the daughter walks through the door. Well, how was it? Well, mom, let me tell you about this guy. He loves Jesus. He has a job. He, he, he took me to a nice place. He, um, you know, we, we had a nice dinner. He looked me in the eye. He, he, he asked about you. He wants to pray for you. And oh, by the way, he sent home some dessert. Here's an apple pie for you. Boaz is generous to her and to her mother-in-law. Verse 15, as she got up to glean, the meal's over and she's a hardworking woman. I want you to notice, she receives his kindness. She doesn't say, oh, no, no, you know, I don't, don't want to, don't, uh, don't do anything for me. She receives his kindness. And then she goes back to work. Boaz gave orders to his men. Even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Don't hurt her. Don't hurt her feelings. Don't mess with her. Don't make her cry. If you do, there's going to be trouble. This is how this is going to go. You're going to take really good care of Ruth. I don't want her feelings hurt. I don't want her embarrassed. I find out you made her cry. Bad things are going to happen to you. One of the things you see in this story is the idea of younger men and younger women receiving instruction from older men and older women. Boaz, uh, you know, is, he, 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 he's, he guides these guys. He leads them. He, he does kind of mentor them a little bit. He offers counsel and wisdom, and he also makes it known what he expects, and, you know, some of that goes along with being a good businessman, but some of it is that he cares for his people. This is one of the great things I think that the church offers to all of us I have great men and women who speak truth into my life who have mentored me and continue to mentor me and teach me and show me I'm you know I, I'm getting older and I'm starting to see that there's a lot of people that are a lot younger than me than there used to be but there still are people who are older than me who have a lot to teach me and I try to do that same thing for uh, the young men who are younger than me try to speak truth into their life and help them to see things from what experiences I have had and, and the things that I've learned from those experiences. Here's what I would say to everybody in the room this morning. Everybody in the room needs to lock into what I'm about to say. Every one of you needs to have someone that mentors you. All of you need a mentor. You need somebody who, who helps you, who teaches you, who, who walks beside you and helps you get through some hard things. Everyone needs a friend a co-equal, a, a someone that you, you, you do things with, that, that you share experiences with as a friend. And every one of you needs to be a mentor to someone else. Last week I talked about Kids Hope and the opportunity that is there for you to be a mentor. That's a, I mean, that is a formal way of being a mentor for someone else. But if you can't do that, then, then at least find people who are willing to learn from you. And, and uh, I heard a statistic, I don't know, I can't prove this, I don't know where this comes from, but I've used it my whole ministry life, that for, the, for every person, the average person has at least seven people who look up to you, taking their cues from you as to how to live life. So think about that. If you, you know, for some of us it's more, for some of us it's less. Some of us that are in the public eye, it's a little bit more probably. But there are people who are looking up to you trying to figure out how to take 
uh, their cues on how to do life. That's a scary, scary thing. Boaz instructs these guys. Verse 15, Boaz gave orders to his men, even if she gathers among the sheaves, don't embarrass her. Verse 16, rather pull out some stalks from, uh, for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. This goes way beyond the law to the point of grace. He does for her what he does not have to do. What he had to do was make sure that poor people were able to come along and glean what they needed to survive. He goes way beyond that to provide for her in a very specific and special way. Verse 17, Ruth is going to work very hard. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. She worked all day. This is hard, sweaty, nasty, filthy work. She works all day till the sun goes down. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered. Again, more hard work. Ruth works. And it amounted to about an ephah. There's a debate as to what an ephah is, but you could settle on somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of grain. It's the equivalent of two weeks' wages for the average worker, and she made about a few thousand dollars she carried it back to town she's carrying with her 30 to 50 pounds she's carrying this back to town her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered Naomi is stunned how many of you if you sent your kids out to get a job they said I'm going to go out and get a job and they go out and they get a job and they work all day long and they walk in and they've got two weeks worth of pay I think most of us would find ourselves a little amazed if our kids were able to pull that off. That's what Ruth does. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. So the dinner that she had that day, the lunch, she had some left over, remember? She brings that back and she hands that to Naomi and says, hey, this is for you. Here's your nice apple pie. You're kidding. You, you went out, you had a nice meal, you met a nice boy, you, he, 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 te- he dealt with you kindly, he fed you, and you brought home dinner for me? Verse 19, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Remember, this is Naomi who used to say, call me Mara, the bitter one, because she didn't have a whole lot of nice things to say about hardly anything she was kind of jaded and now she's experiencing a whole new attitude and now she's starting to call out blessings again Romans says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance it's his patience God has lovingly and mercifully provided for Naomi and Ruth and now her heart is opened and she's saying to herself and to anyone who will listen praise God We asked God for help, and God has answered our prayers. You come to verse 19. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, strong man, mighty man, godly man, provider, protector, defender, dude of dudes, Boaz. In Ruth 2, verse 2, she's going to, the cry of her heart is going to be that someone would find, she would find favor in someone's eyes. We come to uh, chapter, verse 20. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness. That word has said. 
his kindness to the living and the dead. He has honored us. He's honored our family. He's honored our deceased husbands. He uses that word has said, kindness, loving kindness, the attributes of God, merciful, compassionate, loving. In Galatians, uh, the fifth chapter, you come across what they call the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Has said it's, it's it's the attributes of God. It's who God is. Naomi says, "I knew that God was a God of Has said." Boaz isn't God; he's just a man. He's an image bearer of God, and he's reflecting the love and the compassion, the the mercy, the forgiveness, the the long suffering of God. And in this, Boaz understands, God has been good to me. God has been good to me for a reason. I will take the blessings of God, and I will become a blessing for other people. Naomi sees this, and her heart changes from bitterness to blessing. And she says, you know what he looks like? He looks like God. He has the loving kindness and the mercy, the compassion of God. She added, that man is our close relative, he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. What that means is that he is an extended family member of Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband. Let me explain what a redeemer does. In Leviticus 25, it tells us that a redeemer's primary focus was twofold. He was to redeem people and property. In that culture, if you got into debt, you couldn't go get a MasterCard and you know, put it all on the MasterCard. You couldn't do that. You either had to sell yourself or you had to sell your property to pay off the debt. If you sold yourself into slavery, what you did is you sold yourself into slavery for a time, for a season, and you worked for free until your debt was paid off. The problem with that was the whole time you're working, you're not making a wage, and so your family is suffering because you're not doing what you were supposed to be doing, which was to make a wage and provide for your family. Or you would sell your land, which was also very bad because land stayed in the family for years and generations and generations. And, you know, what had been your great-great-great-grandfather's plot of ground, you expected to be your great-great-grandchild's plot of ground. So to sell that out of the family was a horrible thing to do. You were destroying your family name and your legacy. And the Redeemer was the one who would come along and say, hey, I'm not going to let that happen uh, I'll pay the debt to redeem the person from slavery or I'll pay the debt to redeem that property back into the family. Um, the Redeemer was the one who fixed everything. He was wise and successful and God had blessed him. And one of the reasons God blessed him was so that he could do this task and bless people and, and take care. He did works of said. She's saying that Boaz is a Redeemer. And what we'll see is that he's not the closest relative. Secondly, this is not necessarily true because technically the Redeemer was obligated to take care of the family, including the widows and the orphans. And if a man died, the Redeemer would be the one to look after the widow and, and to, to... The Redeemer was basically the patriarchal family member who was to oversee the care and well-being of the family. 
but he was only obligated to biological family members. And Ruth is not biological family. She's not connected to the family by blood. But she is treated as a new convert by Ruth as a daughter and a family member, and she's treated by Boaz as a sister. And as such, Naomi is really expecting her to be cared for like one of the family. Under the letter of the law, she has no right. Under the spirit of the law, she should be considered a family member. Naomi says, he's a redeemer. There's, there's hope in Naomi's voice. Where there was bitterness and where there was, might even use the word cursing, uh, she wasn't happy with God. Now you can sense this hope in Naomi. Verse 21, then Ruth the Moabitess said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. This is about six or seven weeks this is going to go on. This is a very seasonal job, and he says, you're going to stay, and you're going to be able to work until the work is over, and then there'll be no more. You'll just, you know, what, but she would be able to, to glean enough and to make enough to see her family through for a year. If she wasn't able to get any other work, what she would do in that six or seven weeks should probably be enough to see them through the entire year. Not only did Boaz bless her and encourage her, speak to her, feed her, and give her a few thousand dollars for a day's work. He also offered her a job, and they came back every day. She came back every day for six or seven weeks until the job was done. She got the day of, of Sabbath off so that she could rest, but every other day she was working. And if she doesn't find a job at the end of that, she should be okay with what she is able to get just from the six or seven weeks' worth of work. Boaz is a gracious man. And a man that really is showing that he's ready to be a husband. He's not been a husband yet, but he's showing that he's ready to do that. He's run his company well. He's a generous man. He handles his money well. Verse 22, Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls. They love the Lord. You need to get in a small group. That's what she's saying. Get in a small group. Boaz hires the best. You go, you go stay with those girls. You'll be safe with those girls. They'll keep you out of trouble. Second part of verse 22. It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with his girls because in someone else's field, you might be harmed. In those other fields, you could be assaulted. You could be hurt. Something bad could happen to you. That won't happen to you in the field of Boaz. If you're with Boaz's girls, that's not going to happen to you. So Ruth stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz. It's good advice for us all. Stay with people who can nurture you, protect you, speak truth into your life, encourage you. It amazes me how many people fall into trouble, they have a hard time, and one of the first things they do is leave church. No, you need to stay in church. You need to stay around people who are going to love you, encourage you. But, but it's amazing how many people run into trouble and the first thing they do is they, they leave church and they isolate themselves and then whatever problems they're going through it just spirals until it gets worse it doesn't get better so Ruth verse 23 stayed close to the servant girls of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law some of the prayers have been answered. They have a house, they have food. God's had favor on them. Still no husband. Still no babies. And the story goes very quiet. It started off so good. Who's that? 
that's Ruth. Oh. Come here. Work here. Here's work for the next six weeks. She goes to work for six weeks, and what happens? Nothing. He never calls. He doesn't follow up. There's not a second date. What happened? God, what is going on? You ever said something like that? Things don't unfold just the way you think they should unfold? What's going on? I demand an answer. Come on, God, talk to me. Tell me. I'm tired of waiting. I don't like this. Boaz doesn't seem to be real good on the clothes. Okay? He, God, he opens well. It's just the clothes that seems to be the problem for Boaz. I heard somebody say, a man chasing a woman is like a dog chasing a fire truck. He does not know what to do with it once he gets it. Six weeks, Ruth goes to work, comes home. I'm sure Naomi meets her at the door. Anything happen? No. What did he say? Nothing. This drives women crazy. Guys, we forget, you know, we don't like being kept in the dark, but when, when you don't call and when you don't talk, you keep them in the dark, it would drive you nuts too. Here's what she doesn't do. Here's what Ruth does not do. Ruth does not leave the place of blessing. She doesn't leave the place that God is blessing. Sometimes people do this. It gets hard. God bless me. Please, God, would you please bless me? And then it doesn't happen and they leave. Stay in the place that God blesses until God blesses. She doesn't say, it's been six weeks. I'm going back to Moab. This whole Bethlehem deal is bad news I'm going back to Moab no Christian guys ask me out I'm going to leave the church I'm going to go back to the bar I'm going to put my heels on my makeup the first guy that buys me a drink I'm going to go out with him I'll drop my standards no she lives in that place that God will bless men aspire to be like Boaz generous and this isn't necessarily advice just for single men this is for all of us be generous be a gentleman have some class some dignity take care of people next week the story gets crazy (laughs) you can pray for me as I get ready for next week because I'm really not sure how it's going to go it's kind of like Ruth goes on spring break. It's, 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 I mean, it's kind of like, you know, Ruth gone wild. It's kind of crazy. I don't know if you've read chapter 3 of Ruth, but it's, it, I'd encourage you to do that. When you read Ruth chapter 3, you're going to say, oh, we need to pray for Brett. Let's all, you know, all, it's going to get nuts next week. If you've got legalistic, fundamentalistic, baptistic, moralistic tendencies you might want to take Tylenol before you come to church next week because I'm going to challenge probably everything you've ever thought next week, okay? It's just going to be, it's going to really put you out there and stretch you a little bit. We'll pick up next week with what Ruth's response, basically at Naomi's encouragement with what she does, and and I would encourage you to read ahead because it's, it's, (laughs) story takes a real left right here, left. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
I want you to see that God has his hand in things and you may not always see it and understand it and things may be going on in your world and you think man God's not moving he's not working he's not speaking he's not talking to me I can't make sense of all this I feel alone I feel isolated stay in the place God blesses if you've never given your life to Christ I want to just be real blunt with you and ask you what are you waiting for you know you should you know he died on the cross for you you know he wants to bless your life you know he offers forgiveness you know you know that it's all about grace and mercy if you've hung out here at all you know it's not about what you do it's about grace and mercy it's about God loving you and yet adults will just run and run and run from God they know that they should stop and they know that they should let God embrace and they just insist on running and my challenge to you today is that you stop running from God and just let him love you be forgiven are you going to be perfect no you're not going to be perfect are you going to sin more you're still going to sin but it won't make God turn his eyes from you it won't make God love you any less but you'll have a power in your life to overcome sin that right now you don't have you say well I'll I'll do that when I get better when I can behave better you don't understand how this works you're never going to behave better this isn't about how you behave this is about coming to the cross and realizing that what happens on the cross happens for you and for me and that because of that cross we are forgiven we get the righteousness of Christ God looks at us and sees us as pure and holy and righteous not that we necessarily are but we have the righteousness of Christ on us Romans calls it the gift of righteousness since given from Jesus and so if you've never given your life to Christ you need to really think about doing that and I would challenge you to do it today and you can come forward we'll pray with you give your life to Christ we'll baptize you you can walk in the newness of Christ if you want to talk to someone talk to me I'd love to talk to you about that talk to one of our elders talk to someone if someone brought you to church they know enough to help you get to Christ and you're thinking people that go to church here are thinking okay Brett shut up that's enough no really you know enough to tell somebody how to come to Jesus you really do I'm a sinner God died for me I'm saved that's all you got to know this isn't preacher ninja stuff okay this is anybody can do this so if you've come with someone you've never given your life to Christ and you want to talk more about it talk with them talk to me talk to somebody but it needs to happen we're going to pray then we'll stand and sing and if that's something you'd like to do we invite you to do it this morning let's pray together Father what a beautiful story this story of Ruth so much practical stuff it happened 3,000 years ago and yet there are parts of it that it's like it was written for this day because you are timeless you do not change truth is truth and your wisdom goes through all the ages Father I pray for the men in the room that that uh, their eyes would be open to the way Boaz kind of operates that you would help us to be more like him that you would help us to see him as a foreshadowing of Jesus and the way he serves and the way he cares and is merciful and compassionate I pray that you would help us to emulate all those qualities 
Lord, the, the ladies in the room look at Ruth and she's got a lot of stuff that's going not necessarily her way. But you bless her. I pray that you would just continue to encourage the ladies in the room that you're going to bless them. Father, at the end of the day, we are needy. We, we have nothing. We come to you. We're stained. We're broken. We, we don't behave well many times. We, we stand in need of forgiveness. We don't feel righteous. We don't look righteous. We just come, we put ourselves in front of you, and we just claim your forgiveness. We know that you love us. Lord, help us to walk in that. Father, I pray a special blessing over the mothers in this room this morning. They work hard. They are tired. They feel very forgotten and very unthanked much of the time. They feel very unappreciated a lot of the time. I pray that today uh, they are able to fill their reservoir back up with appreciation. That on this day we are able to make them know how important they are. God, we offer all of this as worship and an offering to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.